0: So we're going to take a break from Ephesians for seven weeks, and we're going to think about and talk about how we can have a faith-filled holiday season um, at church, but probably more importantly in our homes and in your lives. How can your life, how can you live a faith-filled holiday season? And we want to go beyond just encouraging you and and, saying, here's how we can do it, church. We want to go beyond encouraging you Um, to have a faithful holiday season. So what we want to do is we are going to be giving you some great resources that can help you do this in your homes during this season. And um, we need to remember something. That God's plan, the number one vehicle that God uses for the transmission of faith is the family. As good as Christian schools are, It's not the number one thing. As good as the church is. Give my life to the church. It's not the number one thing. The number one plan that God has for the development of people in all capacities, but in particular spiritual life, and the transmission of faith from generation to generation, is the family. So for the next seven weeks, our Sunday sermons will coincide with some materials that you can pick up at our Home Point Center or you can get on our website and that you can use at home to help you center your holiday season around passing on your faith to your kids and to your grandkids and to anybody else you might get together with, as well as helping all of you focus on keeping the Lord at the heart of our celebration. So you're going to find back there, there's this, in addition to some other stuff, called the Faith-Filled Holiday Pack. Pretty original name, right? Faith-Filled Holiday Pack. And this is going to take you from now through New Year's, for every Sunday, and again, you can do it. You can get a pack, and I think we made about six. We've been experimenting. We've been doing these lately. Generally, about 50 families usually pick them up, so we made like 60 or 70 of them. But you can do all the same stuff on our website. Everything is downloadable, um, and uh, so it's, it's also all on the website. So we are going to do our best to, to coordinate the materials that are available with the sermons that we're preaching during this time to keep a faith-filled holiday. Give us faith-filled holidays. So, So let's start with the kickoff holiday of the season, which is Turkey Day. It's Thanksgiving. Our nation, people can misunderstand this and they can misquote it and they can misuse it, but our nation sets aside a day to give thanks to God. Not to Mother Earth, not to the Great Spirit, not to whatever... But as a nation, we have a history of setting aside time to give, stop work, eat turkey, and thank God, the God of the Bible, for what He's done for us. And do you know that when we do that, that we are actually fulfilling God's will for our lives. Grab your Bible with me this morning. Open up the book of First Thessalonians, chapter 5, and it's going to be on a slide up here in a second, too. So 1 Thessalonians, chapter 5, we're going to look at three verses. But two verses are like three words each. So, three verses. 1 Thessalonians 5, 16, 17, and 18. You there? 1 Thessalonians, fire up that iPod. Or not iPod, iPhone. People still have iPods? Okay. So... 1 Thessalonians 5, 16, 17, and 18. Always be joyful. We could preach a whole sermon on that, right? Always. It's, you notice that? It's a command. It's not, it's not saying if you feel like it. Always be joyful. Never stop praying. Be thankful in all circumstances. For this is God's will for you who belong to Christ Jesus be thankful in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you who belong to Christ Jesus. God's will for those who belong to Jesus is for us to be thankful in all circumstances. I've got a question for you. So we're a nation who sets a day aside. Do you think, here's my question, do you think that just maybe the early settlers of America who held the first Thanksgiving service understood that they understood that it was right to be thankful in all circumstances to God. You think it just maybe they understood that? I would say they absolutely understood that. Matter of fact, I want to show you how they understood that by reading you a short explanation of the first Thanksgiving from an article entitled Thanksgiving the Whole Story. So listen to what this says about Thanksgiving, about the first Thanksgiving, about the pilgrims. It says the story of the first Thanksgiving began in sixteen oh eight when a group of people called separatists persecuted um, for forming a church apart from the Church of England, so it all goes back to people wanting to worship God, left their homeland to settle in in Holland. There they found religious freedom, but also poverty, grueling work, and a secular culture that threatened to undo the values they had carefully instilled in their children. If you're seeking God's guidance under the leadership of William Bradford, they sold everything. at this. They sold everything everything, to finance their journey, indentured themselves to an English company for the first seven years in America. They're pretty serious about saying, we want to worship God freely. They made themselves indentured servants for seven years. On the Mayflower, the separatists joined others seeking the new land for other reasons. Um, These they called the strangers. These two groups, a passenger list of 102, um, together were called the pilgrims. The journey lasted nine weeks. Along the way, their ship lost its course and instead of reaching Virginia, landed at Cape Cod, Massachusetts. This took the pilgrims outside the territory covered by the king's charter. Thus, they were responsible for their own government. After much prayer, the pilgrims wrote a set of laws called the Mayflower Compact. Only after all had signed it on November 11, 1620, did they leave the Mayflower to begin their new life at the place called Plymouth. Now listen to this, half the pilgrims died that first winter. But the survivors clung to their faith in God, and when the Mayflower returned to England the next spring, not one pilgrim chose to return. That spring, the little company literally put down their roots with the help of Squanto, an Indian who years before had been kidnapped and taken to England, where he had learned English and became a Christian. Squanto taught them how to grow corn, use fertilizers, stalk deer, and catch fish. William Bradford, the governor, wrote of Squanto that he was a special instrument sent of God for their good beyond their expectations. The first harvest brought plenty. In October, October, Governor Bradford set aside a day for everyone to thank God for meeting their needs through the arduous year. Squanto, his chief, and other members of their tribe, were invited guests. The Indians brought deer and turkey while the pilgrim women cooked vegetables and fruit pies. The article went on to say that they didn't eat any pumpkin pie. There were no pumpkins at the time. But another thing I read about it, give another side note that I thought was quite, quite interesting. It says this. It said that, um, that in that feast, that the work of preparing the feast for 91 Indians and 56 settlers fell on four pilgrim women and two teenage girls. Because 13 of the women had died the first winter. And guess what the men did? The men competed in races, in jumping matches, in archery competitions, all while the women, four women in... Two teenage girls cooked for 91 Indians and 56 settlers. It seems to me that the more things change, the more things remain the same. That while men watch football, ladies cook turkey and make stuffing and cranberries. Suzanne makes the best cranberries. Not this canned stuff. Real cranberries. And I've got a suggestion. For a few men... Remember you said earlier you love me? Just maybe this year, we could help a little bit. <laughs> can you do dishes? I can do dishes. Can we... Don't look so surprised. I can do dishes. We can help cook and we can help clean. I can't think of a better way to show that we're people who care. I. It is recorded. A better way of showing we're people who care than by not following tradition where four ladies and two teenage girls have to cook for 91 Indians and 56 settlers. So just a thought. I know that goes beyond preaching the meddling, but I was just thinking that just maybe we could, we could work on that this year. So... That's right. The Packers aren't playing. So here's the point. We as a nation... We're looking all the way back. We're making jokes. We're looking all the way back to the beginning. There wasn't even a nation. That we have a wonderful heritage. One that recognizes that God is our source, that He is our provider, and He cares for us. So what do we do about it? We set a day aside, and as Suzanne said earlier, we should have a lifestyle of this, where we celebrate Him. We don't celebrate the gifts. We celebrate the giver. We give him thanks for what he's done for us. Now, there's another story that I read about the pilgrims. One that maybe you've heard before. Matter of fact, I think I actually talked about this a few years ago as an illustration. We're going to use the same thing today. About how, because I thought it was so powerful, about how the pilgrims developed a tradition to help them to continue to be thankful. It's one thing just to say, a day, I'm thankful today. It's another thing to establish a lifestyle of thankful, of thanksgiving. And so there is a tradition that they started um, that helped them continue with thanksgiving, thankful hearts. And this tradition went like this that after overcoming those first years where many of them died and where they lived on the edge of starvation, matter of fact, you know, they didn't have a second um, Thanksgiving celebration. Because they were almost starving the next year. The first year they had a celebration because they had a ton of crops and they could afford to say, let's have a party. The years after that, they barely were surviving, they were barely eking out a living. But they had created a, a, a tradition of doing something that could help them maintain hearts of thanksgiving. So after they had done this, they had a custom that said that they took five kernels of corn. Anybody else ever hear this? Take five kernels of corn and placed it on a plate before the dinner. Um, of Thanksgiving was served. And each member of the family would pick up a kernel of corn and tell what they were thankful for and that it was to remind them that the first pilgrims were in such dire straits that the daily food allowance for each person when the most and half of them died was only five kernels of corn per day. And so they had a tradition of putting five kernels of corn on a plate, each person picking up a kernel of corn and saying something that they were thankful for. Now, here's something to, to think about. That would be a really easy thing for any one of us to do in our homes, wouldn't it? Five kernels of corn on a plate or five whatever, five marbles in a bowl, whatever you want. But for them, the five was significant and the five kernels of corn was significant because they had come through a time when the people were literally given five kernels of corn. That was their ration from the stockpile. I'm sure they still went out and foraged for stuff, but in the middle of winter in, in you know New England, you don't get a whole lot, you know but they had five kernels of corn. And so I think it would be a great tradition to start in our our homes or or maybe something you want to do one day at Thanksgiving. Well, I want to use this idea of five kernels of corn on our plate to look at five things that every single one of us, all of us, can be thankful for. And the reason I want to approach this the way I'm going to approach it today is that a lot of times when we think about being thankful, we only think about what I have right in front of me right now. And... So we say, well, yeah, it's easy for you to be thankful. Look at what you have. But it's hard for me to be thankful because I'm in a hard time right now. And I I understand the psychology behind that and the humanist behind that. So I want to look at five things that all of us have to be thankful for, for, no matter who we are or what you're going through, if times are going good or times are going bad, five things that we can be thankful for every single day. And I would say this, these are the important things. These are the big things. These are the things you've got to wake up in the morning and thank God for because it will change your life when you have an attitude of gratitude towards these things. So let's think about this. Five things from the five kernels of corn that every one of us can be thankful for every day. The first thing is this. We can all be thankful for God's love towards us. Let's think about that. We can all be thankful for God's love towards us. We know probably the most familiar verse in all the Bible John 3.16, 3, 16, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son. But you know what? You could stop that verse kind of just at the first phrase and you could add whatever you want. You could legitimately say this, For God so loved the world that and you can fill in the blank with all the wonderful and good things that God has done for you. For God so loved the world that he gave me the best wife on the planet for me. You know, for God so loved the world that, and you can fill in the blank. Everything, this is the reason why I can fill in the blank, because everything that we have, every good thing, ultimately flows from God. Now listen, First John 4, 7 says something. It's a little short verse. Matter of fact, in Bible college I had to memorize verses, so I took the shortest verses I possibly could, so I could memorize them in a certain amount. And so one of them was First John 4, 7, because it's only three words. It says, God is love. And so, first um, John four says, it, "God is love." What it's saying about God is that's His nature. It's who He is. It's the only the only reason that we exist is because in love God created us to be objects of His love, and in love provides for us and blesses us and cares for us. So God is love. Now think of another verse with me this morning in in First Corinthians thirteen. Which we think of as the love chapter, and in any wedding you go to, they read First part of 1 Corinthians thirteen generally. In that verse, Paul, the apostle, is trying to describe or express what love looks like. So he says, he goes, "Love is patient, love is kind," and he goes on and expresses all these things. What does love look like? Now think of this: since God is love, from First John, it would be correct to replace. God's name for the word love in that description of love. And in doing that, it can help us see God's love much more clearly. So you could legitimately say to this verse, I'm not trying to rewrite scripture, but I'm saying it would legitimately fit together to say 1 Corinthians 13 like this, that verse. Instead of love, put God in there. God is patient, God is kind, and God is not jealous. God does not brag. And is not arrogant. Can you imagine that? Think of that. The creator of the universe. We brag about, we shoot deer and we brag about it. Matter of fact, you've got to see the buck Josh shot. Oh my goodness. Massive ten-pointer shot yesterday morning. And we, we could tend to brag about that maybe. But think about it. God does not brag and is not arrogant. Does not act unbecomingly. He does not seek his own. He is not provoked. He does not take into account a wrong suffered. How many of that will mess with your, with your wrong narratives about God? A lot of you think God's sitting around looking, waiting for you to do something wrong so he can smack you. God does not take into account a wrong suffered. God does not rejoice in unrighteousness, but rejoices with the truth. God bears all things, believes all things. God never fails. What a description of the God who loves you. You know, this is something that we need to meditate, meditate on every single day. To stand back and be amazed that the God who created the universe loves you. That God loves you. Each and every one of you. Some of you think you're not lovable. God loves you. He made you. He died for you. That's something to be amazed by and give thanks for every single day. That's why in my morning confession that I try to pray through most every day... The very first sentence I pray through is, God, thank you that you love me unconditionally and you want the best for me today. Those are the first words I pray every morning of my life. God, thank you that you love me unconditionally and you want the best for me today. That's something to give thanks for, isn't it? That God loves you? That's the first corner of the corner. Let's think about the second Colonel LaCorn, we could, we could, we could tick off the plate and say, I've got something to be thankful for. Another thing that every one of us, regardless of your age, regardless of your societal status, regardless of your bank account, regardless of anything that we can all thank God for, is we can think, be thankful for God's forgiveness. Take your Bibles with me and turn to, to Psalm 103. Book of Psalm, chapter 103. In this psalm, Turn here. David is instructing God's people about how to bless the Lord. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that's within me. Bless His holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget none of His benefits. And he's, he's t- basically, he's telling the people, instructing God's people, how to bless the Lord, or in other words, he's saying that how to express thanksgiving to the Lord. And then the psalm, he goes through a list of different qualities of God and activities of God that people should thank God for. He says, God does this, thank him for that. God does that, thank him for that. And the very first thing that David points out in verse 3, he's blessed the Lord or thank the Lord, who pardons all our iniquities. And then he restates this and expands on it in verse 10. Look at verse 10. He says, he, does, he has not dealt with us according to our sins, nor rewarded us according to our iniquities. Think of this for a moment. Have you ever taken time to think about what is being said here? That any one of us can call out to God and seek His forgiveness. And what we know from Scripture is that He always forgives us. He always pardons us. It says here, He does not deal with us according to our sins when we call out to him and and ask for forgiveness. You know, there's something about human nature. We all love to see justice mediated against other people. We all love justice. You know, that person did that, they're responsible for that, justice say they should pay. But when it comes to looking in the mirror, we're a little bit different. I'm awful thankful that God pardons me. I'm awful grateful that God does not give me what I deserve, and I hope you are too. I'm awful grateful that God doesn't look with with just with cold, calculated justice and deal with us like that. We deserve punishment, and He gives us forgiveness, friends. That's grace. That's unearned favor. It's God doing for us what we can't do for ourselves. And I'm so incredibly thankful for forgiveness because I like every one of you am so guilty and I continue to mess up I just might not even think about helping with dishes after Thanksgiving I want you will remind me right but I'll continually mess up in 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 ways that are actually significant and I thank God that every time I go to him and I ask him for forgiveness. He does not deal with me or you according to how we deserve to be dealt with. God's not cold, calculating, meeting out just what we deserve. He's, yeah, he's the just God, but we ask him to forgive us. He always forgives us. Isn't that good news? Isn't that something to be thankful for? You talk about um, just taking a burden. Suzanne and I lived in a Buddhist country where there's no concept of forgiveness. Do you understand that? Buddhists don't understand forgiveness. It's it's called karma. Karma says for everything you do positive, there's a positive result. For everything negative you do, there's a negative result. It's just this balance. A lot of people misunderstand Christianity and think it's a balance. It's not. This is the way Christianity looks. You're guilty, and we ask for forgiveness, and God says, forgiven. The karma says it's all equal. And so i got to try doing good, 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 good to, to outweigh to outweigh my bad. It doesn't work. Christians, we get to thank God that He does not deal with us according to how we deserve when we ask Him to forgive us. Isn't that something to be thankful for? It, it puts joy in your spirit. It lifts the burden. That's why when people come to Christ and they meet Him and they're forgiven in that first time, they've never really experienced it before, what do they often say? How do they describe it? It's like a weight was lifted off my shoulders. That's forgiveness. What a thing to thank God for. And you think, we think, well, you need forgiveness when you came to Jesus. Friends, I need forgiveness every day. And so do you. Because we're not perfect. And guess what? God knows we're not perfect. I've been thinking about this a lot lately. I've talked to our Wednesday night group about this. This idea that sometimes you know, I still feel like, oh man, I blew it again, I messed up again, and you still got this little idea like, like God's looking at you like, yeah, I'm really disappointed. But think of this: there's only been one couple ever born not under the curse of sin, Adam and Eve. And since that time, the only other human being who's ever lived, he's 100% God, 100% man, it was Jesus. But since this, we'll so take Jesus out of the equation and forget about the first. We don't know how many years, but however many years or how long Adam and Eve lived. Maybe it was a week. Maybe it was 20 years. I don't know. How long do they live um, before they rejected God's plan and, and ate of the tree of knowledge of good and evil? Other than that, every single one of us has been born in sin and corruption and had all the effects of it. And the only ones who don't get that all times is us. God looks at me and he goes, Well, guess what, Mark? I know you were born in that situation. I expect you to mess up. Now, it's not an excuse to say keep messing up, but he's looking at you and going, I understand the situation you were born under. I understand you were born in a world of corruption. I understand you were born in in a human corrupt world with family members that are doing their best, but often are are really messed up, some that aren't doing their best. I understand you live in a system that has wrong values, and I'm going to help you. He pardons us when we say, God, forgive me. I'm messy. He goes, I love to forgive you. What a thing to thank God for. He loves to forgive us. Amen? It's not this equal weight thing. No. Guilty, forgiven. That's the way it works. That's Christianity. The only religion in the world that gets that. Guilty, forgiven. That's something to be thankful for. Amen? How about number three, third kernel of corn? This one you may say, it's an odd one. But this is, maybe, this is something to sell. This is something you, could, you need to shout about at some point. Thank God for his conviction. It might seem a little odd thing to thank God for. Um, but I think it's one of the greatest and most merciful gifts God gives to his followers. is his conviction. The Holy Spirit brings conviction into our lives. He points out things in our lives that don't line up with his godliness. He makes us uncomfortable when our lives are out of sync with His. why you feel uncomfortable. You can't rest. You can't sleep. He, he, he makes us uncomfortable by the Spirit when our lives are out of sync with what's best for us. That is conviction. And conviction has a very wonderful purpose. To cause us to repent. Conviction causes us to say, I don't like feeling like this. I don't like living like this. I recognize I'm wrong. I'm uncomfortable being wrong. And so I want to change my mind and change my direction in my life. That's what repentance is. Conviction leads to repentance. 2 Corinthians 7.10 says it like this. It says, For godly sorrow, which is a result of conviction, produces repentance, leading to salvation, not to be regretted. For godly sorrow, which comes from conviction, produces repentance or changing mind and direction, which leads to salvation, which you'll never regret. Conviction is a gift. God wants us to move forward. God wants us to get better. So the Holy Spirit shines his light on that activity or that attitude in me and in you that is holding us back. That's keeping us from growing. He wants you to grow past that thing, past that attitude, past that roadblock, to overcome that, to make you better, to make you whole. So he brings conviction into your life to identify it so you can change your mind and your actions towards it and get better. Conviction is a gift. So here's my, here's my recommendation to all of us. When you feel conviction, you know what the natural human tendency to do is when you feel conviction? Ignore it or run away from it. Medicate it. Why do you think people drink excessively? Use alcohol excessively. Never sit in silence. All the things they do. Because they know if they get quiet, they'll, they'll hear that little voice and say, I don't want to hear that little voice. That little voice makes me uncomfortable. The little voice is trying to make you uncomfortable. It's God. He's trying to help you advance. And so you know what you can do when you feel conviction? The best thing you can do? Respond. And say, God, what's going on here? Help me understand it. Okay, God, I'm yours. I'm here. I want to change my mind and I want to change my direction. Don't fight it. Don't deny it. Instead, get better because of it. So conviction is an incredible gift from God. you understand that? Amen. Let's look at the fourth one. We have two kernels left. The next thing to be thankful for is, again, like all the rest, is just wonderful and eternal. Thankful for God's wisdom. You know, we live in a world of unknowns. No one knows who will win the Packer game tonight. It's been hard to know those things recently. Right? We live in a world of unknowns. Nobody, nobody, almost nobody predicted the outcome of the last of the presidential election. Everybody thought it was going the other way. The people involved all thought it was going the other way. We live in a world of unknowns. You know, what's going to happen to the stock market? What you know, will I have my job in five years? I was just talking to somebody telling me they just hope their job, their company stays in existence long enough. For their son to get out of, college, out, of, out of college so they can help their sons through college. Like, at least if we can get through that point, then we can try to figure out what's going to happen next. The world's full of unknowns. You know, how will I pay for my kids' college? Or, not so far away, how am I going to pay the dentist bill? Unknowns. Unknowns, who should I marry? Should I get married? All those unknowns. You know, and if you live in the world of unknowns, By your own limited understanding, and let me tell you this, even if you're the smartest person on the planet, you still have ridiculously limited understanding in your humanity. So if you live in a world of unknowns, by your own limited understanding, the world can be a pretty scary place. You know, what if you make the wrong choice? Wrong choices can have incredibly long-reaching negative effects and that can be paralyzing that can keep you up at night that can that can you know give you ulcers you know if you live in a world of unknowns by your own limited understanding what do you do you could make a, you could be paralyzed by fear but god gives us an incredible promise a promise that's designed to give you peace in the book of james the first chapter the fifth verse it says this if any of you lacks wisdom let him ask god Who gives to all men generously and without reproach, and it will be given to him. If any of you, it doesn't say only pastors, if any of you humans who know God, if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God, who gives to all men generously and without reproach, and it will be given to him. Not it might be given, it will be given to him. God promises to give us wisdom when we need it, if we ask him. And he doesn't just give us wisdom, he gives us his wisdom. Total difference. World's wisdom, God's wisdom. God's wisdom is eternal and perfect and never wrong. The world's wisdom is just guessing, most of the time. He gives us His wisdom, eternal, divine wisdom. Friends, this is something that I've understood for a long time because I'm maybe not that bright. And when I discovered it, I'm like, wow, this is awesome. You don't have to be a genius to make right decisions in this world. You simply need to function according to the wisdom of God. His wisdom is always right. It's always best. His wisdom is eternal. And so I, and it sees the beginning from the end. So if I can just understand the wisdom of God and function according to the wisdom of God, I'm functioning on a plane infinitely higher than any human could ever function at. So if you want to function by great wisdom, that's why things like giving generously to the world makes no sense. But God's wisdom says, do it, and I'll bless you. So you'll have more to give away. The world says it's crazy. God says, I've got a wisdom that's up here. I function on a whole different level. And if you'll do my wisdom, it'll, I'll show you that it works. It doesn't make sense to say, turn the other cheek when, somebody, when somebody's angry with you and forgive them even though you don't have to. But God's wisdom says, if you live that way, you, first of all, will be free. And, and then God will use your freedom then to probably positively affect that person who's negative towards you. The wisdom of God is eternal. Our little, my little pea brain doesn't get it that way. But if I can just know the wisdom of God, it changes everything. But let's understand something. The primary way that God communicates his wisdom to you is through his word. Not through dreams, it's not through visions, not that those couldn't be effective, but they all, everything must line up with his word. So if you want to, to be secure in this world of insecurity and unknowns, then live by God's wisdom from His world. That's something to be thankful for every single day. That you can wake up today and you can know that God will always give you the wisdom you need if you seek it from Him so no anxiety is needed. That's something to be thankful for. Amen? Amen. Let's look at the last one. And this one I'm glad because I grow slow we can be thankful for God's patience. We are all works in progress. And even if you have been walking with the Lord for a very long time, you still have a lot of growing and changing to do. Matter of fact, one of the greatest tools the enemy uses in the lives of anybody who has been serving the Lord for a while is to make us think we're already there. It lulls us into complacency and complacency lulls us into ineffectiveness and, um, and oftentimes even negativeness. We are all works in progress. And I am so thankful that God is patient with us while we are in the process of development in likeness. Philippians 1.6 gives us incredible comfort. It says this, the Apostle Paul is saying to the Philippian people, For I am confident of this very thing that he who began a good work in you will perfect it until the day of Christ Jesus. That God who began a good work in you, changing you into the likeness of Christ, will perfect it, will bring it to pass all the way until the day that Jesus returns. God is not um, done with any of us yet. And understand this. In this process, here's some really good news. He doesn't get frustrated with you. I get frustrated with me. I get frustrated with me. I'm like, I, I should be better than that by now. God doesn't get frustrated. He doesn't give up. When I fail and when you fail. And when I fail again and I fail again. He doesn't get frustrated. He's patient. Remember the description of God's love in 1 Corinthians 13. It says, what does it say about, about love? Love is patient. Love is kind. And when we replace the word God, because God is love for love, it says God is patient, God is kind. This is incredible good news. God's not frustrated with you. Sometimes we, have a, we don't really like to come before God because we think He's frustrated. And what, this is what happens. You come to pray, and you spend the first 20 minutes apologizing to God because you didn't do what you think He wanted you to do. That's because you have a narrative that you think God's frustrated with you. Love is patient in your process because He's patient, He's not frustrated with you. So you don't have to waste your time apologizing. Now, I'm not saying we don't repent, which is changing direction, but I'm saying, spend the time being with God. Not telling God why you messed up and why you weren't there. Spend your time with God. It's incredible good news. God's not frustrated with you. He began a good work in you He says, you're worthwhile. He says, I'm worthwhile. And he's going to keep on helping us until the day that Jesus returns. And I'm thankful for that. Because I still have a long way to go. And guess what? Every one of us does. Yeah, we mature and we grow, but at this level, all that happens, the higher I go, the more I realize I don't know. That's the truth. The more I realize that it's all about that deep stuff of my house soul and my heart. It's about attitudes. It's not about external actions. The whole point of the Sermon on the Mount is if God can transform me on the inside, then all the good will come on the outside. And so God's saying, I'm not frustrated. I'm patient with you. I began a good work, and if you will just partner with me, I will keep on developing you in likeness. That is something to be thankful for. Amen? So, church, lifestyles of thankfulness. Just think how happy and healthy we would be if every morning, before your feet hit the floor getting out of bed, we thank God because He's loving and He's forgiving and He's convicting and He's wise and He's patient. If we thanked Him for those things every single day, these are things to be thankful for every day. They don't change with the economy, they don't change with age. They're the most important things that we need every single day. So friends, let's be a church filled with thankful people. Amen?